Throughout history, there have been a lot of different discoveries and inventions that have shaped humanity, that that shaped how we live and how we live today. And History.com, which like the History Channel, you know that History.com. History.com made a list of 11 things that they think are some of the biggest inventions, some of the, some of the biggest discoveries that change the world. So we're going to play a little game this morning. I want to see if you guys can name or guess the 11 inventions that History.com named as some of the most influential. All right? So you can just start naming some. What do you guys... Yeah, go ahead. Printing press. Printing, yep. That was literally number one. Light bulb. The cotton gin is not on there. I'm sorry. Let me get the electric light out of the way here. Uh, yes. I think that's really important, but it's not on this list. <laughs> a phone? Uh, I'm going to count that. Technically, they said telegraph, but like mass communication, far distance. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say phone and telegraph count. Yeah. Yes, the steam engine's also on there. Internet? I think internet and photography both should be on this, but they're not. Air travel? Once again, they didn't list it, but I think it's really important. Yeah. Refrigeration is really important. They didn't list it. Railroad? It kind of goes to steam engine. I'll give it to you, but it's kind of lumped in with steam engine, but it's not its own separate thing. Yeah. No, no, no. I mean, those obvious, like levers... Yeah, like all that gears are important. But yeah, Ellie, Brittany? Uh, canned food. Canned food? That's really good. <laughs> but no. <laughs> Brittany? <laughs> well, maybe when you get older, you can have one. Yeah. What? Boats? Boats? No. Mm-mm. You've, got, you've gotten four of them. Radio? I'm going to count it. Technically, transistors is what they said, but transistors allowed to the radio... In case you don't know, transistors control the electrical current and the amount of voltage and all that. Makes electronics possible. What did, autom- <laughs> what, what did you say? <laughs> They've changed your life, that's for sure. Automobiles. Automobiles. I'm going to count it. Technically, they said domestication of horses, but I, I count that as transportation. <laughs> I'm going to count it. Yeah. Recording? Mm-mm. Nope. So you got one, two, three, four, five left to go. Oh, CJ. How about advancements in I'm going to count that. They named antibiotics as one of the biggest ones that changed humanity. Yeah. Assembly line. Assembly line. Ford would love you, but no, they didn't mention it. Yeah. Number two, pencil. <laughs> Sorry, Chuck. You have to think a little bigger than that. Fire? Nope. <laughs> Nope. Paper. Paper, I'm going to count. It's paper currency. They named paper currency that allowed trade to be monetized and didn't make you have to, you could do other jobs except farm. Yeah. Language. Really important, but no. Nope, no, no. (laughs) Uh, No, no. Yeah, Ellie. I'm very thankful for it, but no, they didn't list it. Nuclear physics. No. <laughs> CJ. How about an advancement in like construction? Uh, they did name steel. 
as one of the biggest components. I'm going to give that to you. Good thinking, CJ. Two more. What? Okay. Okay, I'm going to... I'm gonna, you're on the right track with, with flashlights. They incorporate... Uh, what they named no not a battery it's glasses like magnifying lenses things that telescopes and glasses and just advancements in glass technology hey i didn't make the list okay hey hey okay well i really appreciate it because i can read now there's one more what roads I'm going to give it to you. It's navigation, and they named the compass. With boats, you're kind of on that track. Yeah, so you guys did a pretty decent job. Here's the, here's the full list. So they have the printing press, the compass, paper currency, steel, electric light, uh, automobiles or domestication of horses, whichever one you think. <laughs> Transistors, nine defining lists, glasses, and telescopes, the telegraph or phones, antibiotics, and the steam engine. All uh, obviously really important, but you guys named a lot of things that I think deserve to be on this list, like the internet, um, fire, the wheel, those kinds of things. I think all deserve to be on this list. I'm kind of offended they didn't name French fries root beer, to be honest. <laughs> those have really changed my life and shaped who I am, and I really enjoy them. But no one else mentioned it, so maybe I'm alone in that. So the advent of these inventions changed much about how we live today. What does advent mean, right? Beginning. It just, yeah, it means beginning or something to come, right? It's the Latin word for now, beginning. And so the beginning of these inventions marked a major change in history. They marked advancements that change how we live and what we do. But none of these inventions, none of these discoveries compare to the greatest advent in history. And, of course, the greatest advent in history, what I'm talking about, is not the discovery of a material or the invention of a machine, but it's a person. A man named Jesus of Nazareth, the chosen Messiah of the only true living God. And Jesus, undoubtedly, was the most influential thing, man or otherwise. He, He is the most influential thing that has ever gone down in the history books. That being said, he isn't just bound to history because he's alive today and he's going to make an appearance more than once. And we're going to talk about that today. We're going to be talking about how Jesus is coming influenced the past, how he comes into our lives in the present and changes who we are. And we're also going to talk about the end goal, kicking off the final advent of this age. Leading up to Christmas, I think it's just appropriate for us to get our mindset into what did Jesus coming into this world really change and mean? So that's what we're going to be talking about today. If you would, please turn with me to Galatians chapter 4. Now, this is not a normal Christmas passage, but I think it does a really good job of showing us a few really important things about how Jesus changed the world. We're going to start in verse 4. 
Paul says, But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that, he might, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Now let's just stop there for a second, because there are some really important things that we need to take note of. First of all, Paul mentions the fullness of time. Right? And this means that there is a plan. There was a plan. There is a plan. And it involves Jesus coming into the world at a specific time. And Paul says, when the time was perfect, we've heard the Christmas story before, when the time was perfect, Jesus came into the world. And we see that God had been planning this from the very beginning of creation. And the Messiah, God's plans are mentioned in every single book of the Old Testament leading up to Jesus' advent, his coming. And God knew that 2,000 years ago in the first century was the perfect time. I don't know why it was the perfect time, but God could see that this was the perfect time for Jesus to come onto the scene. And Jesus' advent in the first century marked some pretty big changes. First of all, as Paul mentions, he was born under the law, but he wasn't born under the law just to walk obediently in it like everybody else, all the other Jews. He was born under the law so that he could fulfill it, right? He, he was born in the law and he walked in it to the greatest extent possible. He obediently followed every command to a T, remaining sinless through the process so that he become the perfect sacrifice for sin, so that he could redeem everyone and give them the option to be adopted into God's family. So upon Jesus' first coming into the world, he changed how we lived and what we did. Because he lived perfectly. He followed every command. He was sinless. And he also lived, he served as an example and taught his disciples how to live and what to teach. And that's how the church was formed. So when Jesus first came into the world, the church was started. And to add to Jesus' ministry, of course, he died on the cross for us as a one-time payment for all of sin. And then he was resurrected so that the resurrection can serve as proof of the truth and evidence of God's future plans. And we'll get to that in a minute. And all these things undoubtedly changed the world. Just looking at the church as an example alone, there's almost half the population of the planet as Christians. They, they claim Jesus as their Lord. And so even that in and of itself has shifted history, has changed countries. Let's keep reading Galatians 4 because there's another facet of Jesus' coming into our lives that changes who we are. Looking at verse 6. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his Son into our, heart, our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. However, at that time, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those which by nature are no gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather, to be known by God, how is it that you turn back again to the weak and worthless elemental things to which you desire to be enslaved all over again? 
So Paul draws a distinction here between before we knew Jesus and after we know Jesus. So before Jesus, we're not known by God. And what does that even mean? What does Paul mean, we're not known by God? Of course, God knows of us in the literal sense. But what Paul is saying here is that he doesn't know us relationally in a father-child kind of way. The intimate familial bond, familial bond that is essential for salvation. God doesn't know us in that way until we receive Jesus. And when we receive Jesus, we, we accept him into our lives. He comes into our hearts. With that belief, his spirit comes onto us and rests on us, and our lives are changed in the present, here and now, because we're no longer slaves of the fake gods of this age, but we are moved into the sonship of the living God, inheriting the same sonship that Jesus has based on his obedience and his sacrifice and his supernatural birth, nothing to do with ourselves. So over 2,000 years ago, Jesus came in broad strokes. He came to change new, he came to set up new systems. He came to change worship. He came to change the sacrificial system. And of course, he came to die for us, to, to end sin once for all. But now, in the present day, he shows up in our lives personally. He changes us personally. He doesn't, he's not just working on this big scale, but he's working internally in our hearts. And he can do this because, let's remember, that Jesus is actually alive today. He's actually alive, sitting at the right hand of the Father in heaven. We often don't think much about Jesus being alive right now, do we? We, we think a lot about what he did in the first century, and we think a lot about the second coming and, and who he is in the kingdom. But we don't really think a lot about him right now, being present with us, where two or three gather, he's in our presence, right? He's also our mediator between God and man. He's our, he's our high priest that gives us access to the Father in a way that was impossible through the old covenant. And right now, Jesus is here transforming us and shaping us into his image. Through Jesus, we are being drawn away from our old nature. And we are being transformed into the holy, righteous, obedient, loving people that Jesus wants us to be. Jesus also makes another promise. He talks about when he's coming back. And this is the third facet of the Advent. This is the third facet of, of Jesus' coming. So we looked at how he came in the first century. Look how he comes into our lives now. And then he's coming back. We call it the second coming. So Matthew 25 says some pretty interesting things about the second coming. I have it right up here on the screen for you if you'd like. That's Matthew 25, 31 through 46. We're going to skip a few verses in there. But it says this, But when the Son of Man comes in his glory, so this is talking about the second coming, when Jesus returns out of heaven to this earth to establish the kingdom, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. He's going to take his seat on the throne of David in the kingdom. And all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep the sheeps from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. 
Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Verse 41. Then he will come also, say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. And then verse 46. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So the next time Jesus comes, he's coming to establish a kingdom, to take his seat on his glorious throne. And all those who are dead, every single one of us, are going to be resurrected, and we're going to be held in judgment. We're going to be judged. And those of us who believed in him are going to be judged righteously. Not because of what we've done, but because of who Jesus is and covering our sins. So we're going to be judged righteously, and we're going to be the sheep on the right, and we're going to be moved into the kingdom that has been prepared for us. God has been working on this plan for all of history, and of course, the rest of us will be punished. The ones who don't put their faith in Jesus will be punished with an unreversible, an eternal kind of punishment. And that's what's going to be happening at the end of the age. Now, that judgment may sound harsh. We, we don't like being judged, and it sounds kind of mean, or it sounds wicked, maybe, perhaps, but it's really not. Because remember, we deserve nothing but death. And that's why Jesus came the first time. He came the first time to call us to repentance. Right? That's what we're doing now, is Jesus is calling us away from the judgment of death and giving us the gift of eternal life. And that is what the gospel is all about. That's the good news. That is what Jesus accomplished 2,000 years ago. It's what he's working on now in our lives. And it's about what he's doing in the future. Now, the important thing is, what are you going to do about it? Right? That's really... What it always comes down to is how do you respond? What what are you going to do? How are you going to respond and live with this information? Well, we're all seasoned Christians. We've heard the story of Jesus a lot of times. So what do we take away from this message? Well, number one is that reminder from Paul, do not return to your slavery. Right? Paul, Paul says that we were once slaves, but now we're sons. And we need to be mindful that we do not return to our former slavery. I think Paul is directly talking to us today in that. Because we can be like the prodigal son. You guys know the story of the prodigal son, the one who knows the father, the one who has all these gifts, and he decides to run away and squander them. We can be like that, but we should know better. Because think about what Jesus has given us. What are the gifts that we've received? Well, one... He's given us forgiveness for our sins, something that we can never purchase or work for. He's given us an opportunity to live a peaceful and loving life. He's given us a community of believers that become closer than blood family. He's given us hope for a future. He's given us a new identity and a new nature. He's given us access to the creator of the universe, the only true living God, and he's given us the promise of eternal life. He has given us so much. And if we return to our slavery, if we turn, return to our old desires, if we return to who we were before Jesus, we are willfully letting go and squandering all that we've been given. We're just giving it away. 
And that gift came at the cost of a gruesome death on a cross. It wasn't free. It's free to us, but it wasn't free to him. Not to mention all the sacrifices of all the Christians over all the generations leading up to this day who worked diligently to bring us the good news. To instill belief in the next generation. To write down manuscripts. To preach and teach and die for their faith. If you go back to your slavery, you're saying, I don't care about all of that. I'm just leaving it behind. So don't let your gift go unused or forgotten. Especially during this time of year, gifts become a pretty big deal. But how many of you guys have received a Christmas gift that is now in the back of a closet or has been given to goodwill, right? (laughs) If you don't use your gift, if someone gives you a gift and you don't use it, it kind of just disappears. It gets forgotten, right? It gets pushed to the back. So how do we avoid doing that with the gospel? How do we avoid, uh, avoid doing that with what Jesus has given us? Well, we have to use it. We have to use that gift, and we use it by sharing the good news with others. That's how we keep this gift, what Jesus has done for us, alive and in the forefronts of our minds. Because nothing makes you feel more gratitude than talking about how you've been saved and giving that good news to someone else and seeing it restore and change their life. I promise that makes the gospel more real than anything else, seeing Jesus change and restore someone else's life. So if you're looking to be refreshed in your faith and to grow, simply share it with others, and that will come. And it may be difficult at times, but it will come. Number three, I think this message, this Advent season, calls us to celebrate with gratitude. We get into these routines of faith, and all of a sudden, our faith loses its shininess, right? It becomes dull. But I think the Christmas season is the perfect time to remind us of just how amazing Jesus really is. We should be thankful. And that thankfulness should drive us to celebrate. To celebrate through heartfelt worship, through meaningful fellowship, and through sacrificial generosity. I think being reminded of what Jesus did, what he's doing in our lives now, And what he is going to do should invoke in us feelings of awe and wonder and love. Because we've all been rescued from death. We've all been given the gift of eternal life. All because God sent his son to the world 2,000 years ago. So over the next few weeks of Advent leading up to Christmas Day, I want you to allow yourself to be washed in that gratitude. The gratitude that comes from hope and peace, faith, love, and joy. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for sending your son who walked obediently and followed you and gave his life for us. I just pray that you give us what we need to follow in his footsteps and the present to be changed by who he is and allow us to look forward to your coming, to be ready for when you send your son back. It's in his name we pray. Amen.